0: titled Life Change. Uh, We're in week two of that series, and today we're going to look at this concept of validation. So I invite you to grab your Bible and open it up and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. Uh, You can find that in your Bible, in your Bible app. You can go to the PCC app. You could grab a blue Bible in front of you, and Luke 18 will be on or around page 742. Just a reminder, you could download the PCC app by going to the, the Google Store, App Store, or you could text... Uh, PCC app to 77977, and they will send you a link, and it's really easy and hopefully helpful for you. Uh, During this season in the life of the church, we've identified that that what we're striving to do is to challenge each and every person to take the next step in their faith and in their relationship with the Lord, regardless of where you are, to take that next step of faith, to grow closer to the Lord, to take the pattern of Jesus' life as your pattern for your life, and in, as such, we prioritize being together, whether that's being here on a Sunday morning or a, a small group or a Bible study or going out to dinner with each other or having coffee together. It's just investing your lives with each other. Uh, we also want to hear and respond to the word of God, to open God's word and, and ask him to reveal his amazing love for you through the scriptures. We also want to be a tangible presence of grace in our communities and in our world. We want to uh, be salt that causes people to desire The living water of Christ. We want to be light shining in the darkness, shining uh, toward Jesus and directing people toward Him. And in doing these things, we strive to help people discover and experience the life changing love of Christ. That's who we are, that's what we're about, that's what we are seeking to do. We don't always do it perfectly because we're sinners and in need of a Savior, but that's what we're striving to do. And so if you're new, we just want you to know uh, what kind of a church we are striving to be. Uh, As we talked about last week, what we need in our life is not just simple change. What we need is life change. We need life-transforming trans- change in our life, and it happens through the love of Jesus. What we, what we need is, is this change that begins on the inside and works its way out because we're allowing God to do his work within us and we are allowing God to work through us to accomplish his great uh, desires and his great plans. Uh, and in order for us to, to do that, we were challenged last week to daily or even multiple times daily to ask God to reveal to us his glory. And as we, re- as we see his glory revealed to us, we see and we reflect that glory, and it begins to change us uh, from the inside out. So today, we're going to continue to look at this idea of life change. And uh, we're going to look at it from a slightly different angle. And so uh, I have a, a question for you. and You don't have to raise your hand or nod or anything, but I want you to think about this. Do you ever feel pressure to prove yourself? <laughs> Got some chuckles already, right? Do you ever feel this, this need to validate your existence? Do you ever feel like you have to justify who you are or what you do? Do you ever ask yourself the question, am I good enough? I know for me, I do. Okay, Just, again, to be real transparent, this is something uh, that, as I tell you often, I preach to myself and invite you to listen. Uh, this is something that I would say I consistently struggle with. When I was younger, I, I felt the family and societal pressures to perform in order to do well so that everything I did measured up, so that the things I did uh, made sure that they were leading me down the right path and to the path that would lead to success. It was what was expected. It was what was supposed to happen, and so I made sure that I did those things, and, And that's not all bad, right? Because those things, they instilled within me a strong work ethic. It made me ambitious. It made me willing to work hard and and strive to be successful. However, it can also be an exhausting way to live, to continually feel like you have to prove yourself, to validate yourself, thinking that, that one mistake could derail the whole thing and it would all come crashing down around us. And I would suggest that that most of us live feeling that way, some sort of pressure, something that is within us. And sometimes it's more and sometimes it's less, but this pressure to prove ourselves, to justify who we are or a position we hold or a belief we have to validate ourselves in one way or another. I don't know how many of you are fans of the show, the show about nothing, if you're, a show of that, if you're a fan of that show, you already know what show I'm talking about. If you're kind of a fan, I've got some head nods going. I know what you're talking about. The show is Seinfeld, right? It was the show about nothing. Jerry Seinfeld is a very talented uh, comedian, in my opinion, and he did an interview and he said this, I never cared if people liked me or not. It was fine if they did. It was fine if they did not. But then he continued by saying, the only validation I ever cared about is do they like the material in other words, if people laughed at his routine, he felt validated as a person, and if they did not, then he did not feel validated. It was not about who he was as a person, it was about what he did and how people responded to what he did, whether or not he felt accomplished. If people laughed and said, thought that what he said was funny, then it validated his existence, and when they did not, he did not feel that validation. So what is that thing for you? Because we all tend to have something in our lives that we look at it and we say, that is the thing that identifies me. That is the thing that gives me value. That is the thing that gives me worth. That is the thing I hang my hat on that I can say, that is me. And as long as that is there, I have worth as a person. I can validate my existence. And often, it's what are, that one thing that, that comes to your mind is the thing we use for our own self-justification, to justify that what I am doing is right, what I am doing is good what I am doing is worth it what I am doing makes me worth it because that is what I identify myself as it's what validates and justifies me believe it or not Jesus tells a parable about this and in this parable we're given a couple of simple tools to help us determine what it is we use to try to validate ourselves in our lives now for some people this may already be obvious and you're like yep and for others of you, maybe not so much. And, and so we're going to walk through this. But I, I would suggest that this applies to each and every one of us. We find this parable in Luke chapter 18. We're going to begin in verse 9 and read a couple of verses to begin. It says this, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now we're going to stop right there for just a minute because Jesus is telling this parable to the people who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. They were the good guys, right? These were the people who were standing around uh, listening to Jesus, and so he told this story. Most commentators agree that Jesus is addressing a group of Pharisees, which is why the Pharisee was one of the main characters of the story. Pharisees were the keepers of the law. They were fair, you see. That's how you can remember what they did. They wanted to be fair. You see, they placed such a high importance of living your life in a righteous way, and they spent a lot of their life trying to make sure that what they did justified their existence and proved that they were really good Jewish people. That's what they were striving to do. The other main character in this story is the tax collector, and at this time in history, everyone hated tax collectors. Now. We don't necessarily like paying our taxes, right? I know that this past week we, we got the packet from our tax preparer, and we're like, ugh, right? But I would venture to say we don't hate our tax collector, right? I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to hate the server at the restaurant after they serve you your food and they collect taxes on your bill? No. Do you hate the person that you have to mail in your, your taxes for your property taxes to the township? Do you hate that person? No probably maybe you do i don't know but no uh, usually we don't because it's such a kind of we don't really know who that is but but in this time in history everyone hated the tax collectors there are reasons people hated these tax collectors The Jews were under the Roman rule, and the Romans would recruit Jewish people to come around and collect taxes from their fellow citizens. The Jews didn't want Rome uh, to be invading uh, their country and and have oppression over them. They certainly didn't want to have to pay taxes to help fund their own oppression. But to make matters worse, these Jews who were collecting the taxes for Rome, they would overcharge people, they would keep the difference, and would subsequently get very, very rich. And as you can imagine, this did not go over well with the people. It was seen as a betrayal against their own people, which is one of the reasons I think Jesus used tax collectors often in his stories. So the Pharisee and the tax collector are the two people in the story. And the Pharisee begins to pray. Look at verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. What a prayer, right? And in that prayer, in in that statement, we see a couple of tools that, that we can use to determine what it is in our own life. What it is in our own heart that we use to identify ourselves and to validate our own existence. The first thing is this. The Pharisee, he boasts, right? He boasts. Look at what he says there in verse 12. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So I wonder, what is it that you boast or brag about? What is it? I read that one way to help determine what it is in your life, if if you're not sure, is to pretend that you're preparing to go to your high school reunion. What do you want those people to know about you? What is it that you feel gives you value and validates you? What would you write on your little bio, right? What are these things that you want people to know? It's interesting that studies have shown uh, what happens to us around the age of 14, uh, around that time in our life, we reach a certain level of maturity where we learn how to boast and brag more efficiently. All right? Before that age, before we, we are uh, as mature, we are less hesitant to blatantly brag or boast about ourselves and receive that public attention and recognition. But when we get just a little bit older, we learn how to subtly boast or brag. We figure out how to just kind of work it into conversation. Uh, The other day, uh, I was out on a a five-mile run, and I was thinking about a a prayer request that someone had submitted. (laughs) Some of you got it, and others are like, what? No, we just work it in, right? It would have been just as easy for me to say there was a prayer request that was submitted, and we were praying for it, but but I wanted you to know that I ran five miles. So we just kind of say that, hey, you know, right? I was dusting the other day, and I realized I'm going to have to build a shelf or a cabinet because all my awards are just, there's not enough room left on the mantle, right? We just kind of do that in our conversation. And as I'm saying it here, it's pretty obvious, but, but you do it too, right? Or maybe it is just me. We work those types of things in. What is it in which you boast about? What is it that you want to bring up? What are those abilities or accomplishments? Where did you go? Who did you see? What did you see? Who did you meet? Who do you know? For some of us, it's, it's so ingrained in us that, it, that it's in the clothes we wear, the house in which we live. It could be the car we drive, the, the jewelry, the handbag, the trips, the vacations, all the things that we either do intentionally or without even noticing that validate who we are and we have conversations with ourselves. If I don't, then people might think. You see, I would suggest we all do it In one form or fashion to varying degrees, as a parent, I look at other parents and I see them do it with their children and I just shake my head. And then I go look in the mirror and I go shake my head, right? This time of season in the life of many students, they're receiving back their college acceptance letters. And with that is this genuine sense of excitement. There's also this genuine sense of bragging about that too, Right? Because the assumption is if my kid is smart and gets into this really good school, is gonna get this great education, then that means I'm really smart and I'm a really good parent, right? No, (laughs) not necessarily. Those two things do not always correspond. So, what is it that you brag about? Now, here's the kicker you may be sitting here this morning going, you know what? I really don't brag. I really don't think I have a problem with boasting. I'm really a pretty humble person. I'm not like all the other people around me who struggle with this. You're getting there, right? When you feel superior to others, we become just like the Pharisee. Lord, we we pray, you know, God, I'm thankful that I'm humble and I don't boast like other people. I thank you that I'm not like all my friends and family who struggle with pride and self-justification. We say those things without saying those things. And it, it, it's a part of what we use in our own life to validate who we are. So the first tool is to look at our lives and say, what is it of which we boast? The second tool that we see from this Pharisee and what he does is he compares He compares himself to other people. And I would say that while boasting is something that we can kind of laugh about, this is something that I think is far broader in its scope and its impact in our lives. The thing that we often base our self-worth on, that which we use to validate who we are and what we do, is we compare ourselves favorably to other people. Look again at the part of verse 11. The prayer, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. And to whom does he compare himself? Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and tax collectors. The Pharisee compares himself to those who he believes he measures up favorably against in order to make himself feel better about himself. And I'm sure you never do that. Who do you compare yourself to? fellow classmate? A coworker? Parents of the other kids in school? Is, is it your family? A celebrity maybe? To, to whom do you compare yourself? It, it's been said that when you compare yourself to someone else, there's only two options of, of the, the results. You either feel better about yourself or you feel worse about yourself. And neither result of comparing is healthy for us. It can lead to a sense of pride and superiority, or it can lead to envy and depression and discontentment. You see... This would be so much easier to avoid if we were all the same, right? I mean, if we were all genuinely the same. For instance, if everyone was as good-looking as me, then no one could be jealous of the fact that I'm so good-looking, right? You don't have to laugh quite that loud. Okay, try this one. If everyone had the same basketball skills as LeBron James then he would not be able to validate himself as a superior basketball player, and everyone would be the same, right? Uh, maybe or maybe not, you, you've heard of this. There's a school in England that has banned students from wearing these high-end coats. And the reason they've done it is because uh, these coats cost between $500 and $2,000, and over half the, the students in this school are underprivileged. And the idea is that they're trying to avoid poverty shaming within the school. Now I want you to think about this. If everyone in the school, well, what about if everyone in England, let's say, let's broaden it. If everyone in England owned one of these coats, they would no longer be a status symbol, right? And the issue of poverty shaming would not exist in this particular way, right? Because... We would all be the same. The the coats only communicate wealth if not everyone has one. So to whom do you compare yourself and how and what do you use in that comparison? The Pharisee helps us see that when we look at boasting and comparing, we see the tools that we use to help determine what's really going on within our own hearts. And if the story ended there, it would probably be enough for us to have on our plate and digest. But, but he goes on. Jesus goes on. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Beating his chest, to me, is a very interesting visual. When I think of someone beating their chest, I often think of it in in a victorious way. If you've watched any football, you see somebody makes a play, and what do they do? They're like, I've conquered, I'm the best, right? And they're, they're beating their chest, and they're just like, yay me, right? But the tax collector, he's looking down. He's beating his chest, beating the inmost part of himself where his heart and his emotions are located. Beating where the source of pride and the source of boasting, where our source of self-justification comes from and how we feel about ourselves. He's not bragging about himself. He's acknowledging the fact that he is aware that he is a miserable sinner. And what's so very interesting is that even though the Pharisee was not aware of it, he is just as much of a miserable sinner. And that's where we see the huge contrast between these two characters in Jesus' parable. The Pharisee is relying upon his own righteousness for justification, and the tax collector is relying upon the mercy of God for justification. Jesus sums up the story. He says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus points out that humility is important, and our validation, our justification, comes only through God. So what does it mean to be justified? What does it mean to be in right standing with God? I like what Paul says in this condensed part of Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, when he writes, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, if you've been at PCC for more than a week or two, hopefully this is, is something that should come as no surprise to you. We, we try to communicate that we are all the same in this walk of faith. We may be at different stages or different points in our walk, but we're all the same. We are all sinners, and we're all in need of a Savior. God has given us himself through the Holy Spirit and has given each of us uh, the opportunity to walk down this path of faith with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and with each other. We are all saved by grace through faith, not by works so that anyone can boast, not by who we are or what we do, that's not how we get validated, it's only because of Jesus. And it makes very little difference to your salvation by grace through faith if you've been a believer for 50 years or 50 minutes. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He is the source of our validation. Jesus is who we need. We all need forgiveness. We all need to be made righteous. We all need validation. We all need justification through faith in Christ. This is what is essential to life change, to realize and to accept and to act upon the fact that our validation is not based on who we are or what we do or what we have or what we don't have. It's based on Jesus and on Jesus alone. Amen? And when you understand that yes, You are a sinner, and then you understand that Christ died for you. When you believe that in your heart and when you accept that on faith, it begins to change you from the inside out. And to be really transparent with you, there are times that this is hard to accept it's hard to really, really rely upon that and and to live in that. For me, this is something I believe to be true, but the reality in my life, it's a lot easier for me to believe that it's true about you than it is to believe that it's true about me. But the reality is this. It's true for all of us because it is true For you, it is true for me. It is true for us. It's true for all of us that we are loved by God, we are saved by grace through faith. And God wants to walk in relationship with us. And and even though we don't deserve it, and even though we fail him, and even though we fail to surrender to him and to trust him the way we probably should or or these expectations that we put upon ourselves, God loves us not because we can validate ourselves before him or we can justify ourselves before him, but because it's only through Christ that we have that validation and justification in our life. As I said last week, this begins and it ends with Jesus, which is why we're going to talk about him and we're going to tell you about him and we're going to invite you to experience and discover his life-changing love. Not a program that's going to change your life, but a person of Jesus who can change your life. And when we put the truth that yes, we are a sinner, and yes, we are loved. When we take those two things and we put them together, we begin to live in that reality, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, it begins to change our lives. And we want you to experience that type of life change. We want you to discover and experience Jesus and his love. We want to invite you to respond to his invitation to allow him to be the one that validates you, because it's not about what you have, or what you've done. It's about who Jesus is, and it's about his relationship with you. So we wanna invite you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We want to invite you to confess your sins. We want to invite you to be obedient in baptism. We want to invite you to walk in your life in relationship with the Lord. We want to invite you to respond to him to seek him through his word, to see how much he loves you, to to experience him through the spirit that he's freely given to us. Today, we invite you to respond to him and to experience that life change, to take that next step in your relationship with the Lord. As we sing a song of response to the Lord, it's an opportunity for us to respond to him, And we want to invite you to do that. If if you want to talk to someone, we're going to invite you to make your way over to the cross where people will be there to receive you, to to pray with you, and to encourage you, and and to walk with you. If you want to respond right where you are, you are welcome to do that. But it's my prayer that you would do business with God, that you would allow him to become into your life and and to begin transforming you and changing you and, and validating you because of who he is, because of his great love for you. Stand with me. Let's sing as we focus our praises toward the Lord this morning.